take our Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. We have arrived this morning at what I have heard, not recently, but I have heard it frequently in distant past, that if the Baptist anthem is Amazing Grace, then the Baptist verse is the verses that we're going to look at here this morning, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. I'm going to begin reading again here in verse 1 of this chapter and read down through verse 10 to get our context back into our hearts and in our minds. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our own transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. We've learned the awful state of all mankind. In fact, if God had not revealed this to mankind, mankind would not have come up with it on His own. But all mankind are dead in trespasses and sins. All men, women, boys and girls are separated from God and they are separated from the life of God. They walk. Their behavior is according to the age of the world in which they are living. They live according to their own desires, their feelings, their emotions. They live according to a worldly mindset. And they are energized and they are moved in their being by the spirit of this age. The spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. All mankind are walking in the broad way of this age. Or we could put it this way, all mankind walk in death. It's not that mankind is going to die. They are already walking in death. They are dead to God, separated from God, separated from the life of God. 
And all they are awaiting, really, is for the sentence of condemnation to fall upon their bodies and for their bodies to die. Their bodies are the only reason why and motive that they have to live. They live for themselves. They live for their own prestige. They live for their own glory. But God the Father reached into the wealth of His mercy to rescue dead people. And folks, that really is where we have to start when it comes to salvation. You don't have to know that term. You don't have to realize how dead you really are. But you do have to realize that you are dead to God. That you need His life. You need His salvation. You need Him. And it is God alone that can give life to the dead. No man has that ability. Nothing in the material world has that ability to do that. He alone gives life to the dead, and He alone can call things into being that are not. In other words, you could say to yourself, well, there's no way that I could walk in agreement with God. And you would be right. But God Himself calls into being things that are not, so that they may be so. God has that ability to do that. And God shows us the riches of His mercy, they flow through His great love. And folks, He didn't love us because we're lovable. That's what the world says. That's what the liberal theology says. He didn't love us because He saw some good thing in us. There are no good things in us. He didn't love us because He was, as I've heard preached in independent Baptist circles, because He was lonely. God has never been lonely. Never. Ever. He didn't create man because He needed a companion. Like God created Eve for Adam. God's never been lonely. He's not lonely now and He never will be lonely. He's always had perfect communion between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He didn't create man because he was lonely. He created man because he chose to do this to exhibit his great glory. He loved us with a great unmeasurable love when we are and were the most unlovable. That's amazing. If you could think of the most unlovable person that you could think of in your life, think of the person in your mind that of all the people that you've ever met on the face of this planet during your short lifespan here, think of that person and you just say to yourself, if there's any person on the face of this earth, there's no way that I could love them. God's love is beyond that and the depths of our being unlovable is beyond that. And so when we were dead in trespasses and sins, we, that is believers, were made alive together with Christ. At that same historical moment, Christ was raised from the dead. Now brethren, sometimes we have difficulty with that concept. But folks, we have to understand that this parallels our being in Adam. 
When Adam sinned, we were in Adam. So that when he sinned, we sinned. Right? So we not only incurred his just condemnation, but we incurred his guilt. And we repeat that transgression every day in our lives. So just as in Adam all died and all came under condemnation at the same historical moment when Adam committed that transgression, so too in Christ. At that same historical moment, we became alive in Him. So that when Christ died, we died. When He was buried, we were buried. When Christ was raised from the dead, Believers were raised up with Him. And when Christ was seated in the heavenly places, we too were seated with Him in the heavenlies. And folks, that really is our assurance. Most people don't doubt that this happened to Christ. If I was to ask every believer in here, all right, do you believe Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures? We all would nod our head yes. If I was to ask you, do you believe that Christ was buried? I think we would nod our head yes as believing people. If I was to ask you, was he raised from the dead? You'd say amen, preacher. If I was to ask you, is he seated on the throne of God? You would say amen to that. But if I was to ask you, are you as a believer in that position, you would say, well, not so sure. But folks, our being in that position is as sure as him being in that position. Amen. My assurance that when my body dies, my body is going to be raised and the assurance that when I am absent from my body, I will be present with the Lord, that whole assurance is not based upon my goodness. It is based on the fact that He died and He's seated there, and because He's seated there, I'm going to be there. And folks, that guarantee cannot ever be disturbed. Now think about that. If you would base your assurance on Him, you would be freed from a lot of torment in your life and in my life. Folks, I will speak personally. My sin nature has very ever, very if ever, tried to persuade me that Christ wasn't raised from the dead. But my sin nature has greatly troubled me about did I do this and did I do that and have I done this? It's based on Christ. And so what is true of Christ, or what I could say is this, what is true of the Gospel, because the Gospel is Christ, what is true of Christ is presently true for every believer, past, present and future, and will be true for me as a believer in Christ. I am safe in Him. I am secure in Him because of what God did in His Son. 
And folks, when you think about the greatness of the power that it would take to accomplish this, it is beyond our understanding. This is the power of God in our life. Folks, that brings us to our text, verses 8 and 9. When Paul is giving to us two confirmations on why the whole of salvation is by grace. And you'll notice that, look in verse 8, the very first word in your text is, for. Here's a reason for what has gone on previously. We'll take this up, Lord willing, next Lord's Day, but look at verse 10. How does that start out? It starts out with a what? For, or a because. Here's another reason why the wholeness of salvation is by grace. But this morning, I want to preach on this subject, salvation, the gift of God. The surpassing riches of God the Father's grace in kindness in Christ Jesus has already begun. How do I know that verse 7, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus? That verse is in the future, but folks, that kindness and that goodness has already begun. How do I know that it's already begun? Because by grace I have been saved. Everybody see that? God's purposes and His will have already begun. In fact, we could word it this way, and the New Testament writers periodically frame it this way. The new creation that we are awaiting has already begun in Christ Jesus. This grace, this kindness of His grace has already come to us because, look at verse 8, by grace you have been saved through faith. Now just to say this right off the top of this message, we are not saved because of faith. Faith is not the ground or the basis of our salvation. God the Father's work in Christ is the basis of our salvation. What reaches forth to become the channel of His grace to us personally is faith. Our faith. If you think of it this way... The foundation of my salvation is the person of who? Christ. Okay, But I reach out to God to receive that grace through the channel of faith. Faith is the channel, or if you want to look at it this way, the tunnel by which that grace comes to me personally. Faith is the channel and the only means to receive it. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That's what it means to receive this. 
Now look at this, two things that Paul brings out about this. Look at verse 8 again. It's mentioned here in our scripture by the word not. Look at verse 8. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not. Everybody see that? Not of yourselves. Now look at verse 9. Not as a result of works. Everybody see those two negative statements there. Whatever we're talking about salvation, whatever we're talking about grace, whatever we talk about us being saved, are being saved, will be saved, whatever we think about all that, it is not of ourselves and it is not a result of our works. Everybody see that? Now let's take a look at those two statements. Because these two statements, mankind tenaciously holds on to. Lost mankind tenaciously, I picked that word on purpose, hold on to the fact that they possess everything inherently within them to be saved. And they tenaciously hold on to the fact that it is their goodness that lays hold on to this salvation that will come to them in the future. Everybody see that? They think it is inherent within them and they think they have the ability to do the good works necessary to earn these things. Paul dogmatically denies that. And folks, if we get to glory by His grace, we will know at that day to the fullness that we don't know today that it is not of ourselves and it is not of our works. It is of God in His Son alone by the work of Christ alone. That's what we're going to come to know in greater and greater measures. So first of all, this salvation, the gift of God, is not of yourselves. And I've alluded to this in the fact that the whole of salvation is not inherent within us. We are, in our lost state, completely and entirely unlike Christ. I hope you agree with that. His goodness is beyond anything that I could ask or think. His love is immeasurable beyond what I can understand. His lack, entire lack of selfishness is beyond what I could even imagine life would be without being selfish. Folks, you and I can never say this. I always do those things that are pleasing to my Father. Always. You and I could never say, I came not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. 
Can you and I imagine a life that is completely and entirely apart from my will? A will that would never exert itself beyond being a slave to another person's will. I can't imagine being in the Garden of Gethsemane knowing what I'm going to face. The Bible says in John chapter 13, Jesus knowing all things that were going to come upon him. And then to pray in the garden in the midst of such agony and suffering in the garden and to pray, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Can you imagine praying that? Folks, did the man Christ have a will? Yes. Did he have to submit that will to God the Father's will? Yes. And he did it entirely. No sin in that. You and I are completely and entirely unlike Christ. Even the best of us. The whole of our salvation is not inherent within us. There is no one good. No Not one. You know, your neighbor and your co-worker will fight you to the death about that statement. But folks, even our Lord spoke to that rich man who had himself said that he kept half of those Ten Commandments. And Jesus did not contradict that. Now in saying he didn't contradict it, I'm not saying that he kept them. I'm just saying Jesus did not contradict him in that even him even Jesus said to that man there's none good but God the problem with us saying that there is good in me or that there is good in mankind is because our definition's wrong how would you define goodness God is good. How would you define love? God is what? Love. Goodness is not inherent in man. Faith is not inherent in man. He is in unbelief. Ability is not inherent within man. We're not self-sufficient. We're not self-independent. We're not able to pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We don't have that ability. Understanding is not inherent within man. There's none that understands. Seeking God is not inherent within man. You believe that? Folks, all of the false religions where man is attempting, I use this in quotes, to seek God are nothing more than attempts to hide from God. It is not inherent within man to have goodness or faith or ability or understanding or even the motivation to seek God.
And folks, Paul brings out in the book of Romans that there's something else that's not inherent within man, and that is the fear of God. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The more I learn about Christ and God, the more I come to understand the actual foolishness of living a life with no fear of God before my eyes. Our God is a consuming fire. You can name any form of righteousness. You can name any form of attribute within God. It is not inherent within men. Look at it again. By grace you have been saved through faith. That not of who? It's not of yourselves. And you can ask yourself this question, as many have done. Is it the grace that is not in ourselves? Is it the faith that's not inherent within ourselves? And I would say yes to both of those, but folks, I would extend it beyond that because verse 8 is a reason for what has been written before. It is the whole thing of salvation. It is the whole of the mystery of His will. It is the whole thing of of that being accomplished. It's all not inherent within mankind in any shape, fashion, or form. It is not of ourselves. We're not the source of it. It is not inherent within us. Do we see that? Do we believe that? And folks, just as a little side note, even when we get saved, it's not inherent within ourselves. One of the first things, I thank God for this many, many times, is that one of the first lessons I learned, I mean within a week or so, of my being drawn to Christ and calling on His name and walking with Him, I came to this understanding Whatever it is and whatever command that He has given to me, I can't do it. I don't have the ability to do it. But Christ in me has the ability to do it. And that's a huge difference, isn't it? It is not of ourselves. Secondly, as we see in verse 9, the second negation, it is not as a result of works. Now you may want to make a little line here. We're going to talk about this next Lord's Day. But I got a little line in verse 9, right up above the word works, down to verse 10, to the word works there. When we're talking about the whole of salvation, it is not according to our works, but having been saved... We have been created for good what? For good works. Everybody see that? So folks, the whole of our salvation, now please follow this, is not gained either through our works or by our working for it. Now there is a distinction there between those two things. 
Our works are not the ground of our salvation. Our works are not the cause of our salvation. And folks, what I mean by this, that it is not a works, I mean it's this. It's not like I have a scale, right? And on one side I have my good works, and on the other side I have my bad works. So when I get before God, what I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to show Him all my good works, and my good works are going to be just sitting there for Him to notice, and they're going to be more than my bad works, and so He's going to let me into heaven. <coughs> Millions of people believe that. Millions. Your neighbor believes that. Salvation is not gained by my works. And folks, I'm just going to be forthright with you. If I had to total up the number of good works that I have done inherent through me, it's none. Did you hear that? As a lost person, According to the world, I did some good things. I did obey my parents at times. I did address them and honor them at times. But because none of this is inherent within me, the number of my good works to outweigh my bad works is none. But folks, it's also our salvation is not gained by our working for it. Sometimes people will say to me, <clears throat> they'll say, well, you know, I, 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 I agree, I was a pretty bad person, but now that you've told me about the gospel, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to start working for this. And it's like, you know, God forgives all that in the past. He gives me a clean slate. And now having a clean slate, now I'm going to work for it. And folks, no one gets saved that way. By grace, you hear that word? By grace, you have been saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves, it's not inherent within you, and it is not from works, because all my works that I did before being saved came from a person full of inner corruption. It came from a person who was speaking deception and lies. It came from a person that was swift to murder, maybe not physically, but with my words or with my intent or with my attitude. All of mankind are on a road and what they love to do is to destroy. Look at our nation today. All attempting to destroy what has been set up. And we walk as a lost person in the pathway of misery. 
Mankind loves misery. Now, they're not so excited about the misery coming to them, but they love to give misery to others. That's the way we used to walk. We lived our lives separated from God, under the curse, unbelieving, and we refuse to believe that God is who He says He is in the Scripture. We will argue it, we will twist it, we will pervert it, we will dodge it, we will say, well, if that's the way that church is, and I don't like that truth, then I just won't go there. I'll hide it. And folks, even our faith has to come by hearing the Word of God. Even our repentance is a gift which comes from God. The whole of our salvation is by grace. Through what? Through faith. It's not of yourself. And it is not of your works. Now very quickly... This is outside the text because the text is speaking about what God has done. Faith does come by hearing, doesn't it? And it comes by hearing the Word of God. But hear me, it is your responsibility as a human being to hear God. That's your responsibility. Repentance is a gift from God, is it not? But it's our responsibility to turn to God. God has told us that. So don't make mankind, don't take what God has done in grace and make humanity into a robot. Fallen man has a will. Fallen man has certain abilities to make decisions within the sphere that God has placed him in. And folks, that is the gospel message. Our message is, hear! Our message is, turn! Our message is, here's what God's done in Christ. Believe it! It's man's responsibility to hear. And in Romans chapter 10, Paul just says to that nation, look, you had the prophets, you had the scripture. Did they preach? They did preach. Were they sent from God so that they would preach? The answer is yes. But what was their problem? They refused to hear. That was their problem. It wasn't God's fault that they died in their sins. It was their fault. And if you and I die in our sins, it will be your fault. You will not be able to blame God. God has done everything necessary for you. Hear! Believe! Turn to Him! Is what the message is. And folks, because in verses 8 and 9, we know that it's by grace, so at the end of the day it will all be to the praise of the glory of His grace, for by grace you have been saved through the channel of faith, and not that not of yourselves, and it's not as a result of works. 
But folks, there's another parallel here that is in verses 8 and 9, and is this. It is the gift of God. Everybody see that? What's the parallel to that? So that no one may boast. Folks, he tells us here that this grace and God doing this in the riches of His mercy had to be this way. It had to be by the gift of God. Now, I'm going to say something that might get your attention here a little bit, but I'm not intending to really upset your cart, okay? <laughs> but I am intending to let us know what this means. It is the gift of God. When we think gift, in our age, our day, in what we have heard, you and I must not think of the gift like a Christmas gift. I'm sure if I had a raise of hands, how many of you have heard, you know, it's like a Christmas gift, the gift is there under the tree, and all you have to do is take it or receive it. That is not what this passage is saying. First of all, there was no Christmas then. What does he mean by gift? Well, Romans 4.4 helps us with this. And I'm going to quote it for you. We read it for our scripture reading. I'm going to quote it first of all from the King James. And then I'm going to quote it from the New American Standard. In Romans 4, he's talking about Abraham. Abraham was not saved by his works. And then here's the reason that Paul gives for this. He says, Now to him who works, the reward is not reckoned by grace, but of Debt. Do you hear the opposites of that? Okay? The reward. The gift. Okay? What is earned. If it was to Abraham by works, then it would be by debt. But it wasn't of debt. It was by grace that it came to him. Everybody follow that verse there. Okay, now let me read it from the New American Standard. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. Folks, when God says through the Apostle, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. He's using gift not like a Christmas gift. He's using gift in this sense. A gift is something that isn't owed to you. 
Does everybody, everybody hear that? Okay? So if you give me a gift, if you walk up to me after this service, and I'll just use an uh, illustration very, very recent, and you say, here's $100. <laughs> and I look at you and I say, well, what have I done? And the person says, you've done, you haven't done nothing. I just give it to you. In other words, he's not giving it to me, that gift, because he owes it to me. He's giving it to me as a favor or as an expression of love. Everybody see that? That's what he means when he says this grace by which you and I have been saved it is the gift of God. It wasn't owed to us. It was completely and entirely a free choice of God's mercies and love to do this. No constraint on His part, nothing on our part that would put God in debt to give us this gift. It was entirely freely done of his own initiative. That's what he means by gift. It isn't that God did something in Christ and he wrapped Christ up in a present and he's just sitting it here and now come take it. No. The word gift is used to show that this isn't something God owes us. That's why he uses gift. The wages of sin is, folks, what's owed to us? The wages of sin is, but the gift of God, what's not owed to us, right, is salvation. That's the gift of God. And folks, we have learned, and there has been an emphasis in our services the past several weeks, as we have looked at Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, when we have learned that our sin nature has this awful, terrifying perversion about it, where it will take the good things of God and twist it so that we will what? Boast. When that Pharisee and the publican was in the temple and that Pharisee prayed to God, did you hear what he said? I thank you, God. Was he acknowledging God? I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. But he was. That's the sin nature taking the goodness of God and taking the things of God and perverting it so that we will boast. Now when I use the word boast, look at again verse 9, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. Don't, don't just think boasting is some guy who gets on top of the dining room table and says, look at me, here I am, here I am, here I am. 
When we're talking about boasting, we're talking about anything in which man puts his self-confidence in. And our sin nature will take the things of God in order to bring about human boasting. Does that ever happen in believers? Look at Corinth. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, were they good gifts? Why were they given? They were given for the edification of others within the church. What was the Corinthians doing? They were taking gifts and using it to edify themselves and not others. They were boasting that they had certain gifts and other people didn't have those gifts and I was a more important person in the body than you are in the body. And that's in believing people. How much more so in lost people? And folks, our boasting and our confidences are displayed by our speech and by our walk. This is why in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 he says this, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Who are you putting your confidences in? The Lord Jesus. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. This is why Paul wrote in the book of Philippians, we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Our confidences and our assurances and our, or our faith is completely wrapped up in the person and work of Christ. And even Titus would word it this way, <clears throat> that many walk, and he says, but by their works they deny Him. We can deny Him in our speech, we can deny Him in how we behave. Now folks, there are innumerable ways that people trust their works. Innumerable ways. I have 12 that I've written down that I've observed through the years. <clears throat> there are people who trust their goodness. I'm not as bad as other people. They'll tell you that. They'll say, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm not as bad as other people. Folks, I'm just going to let you know, your heart is deceitful and wicked beyond all measure. You're not to walk according to your heart. The Bible says, he who walks according to his own heart is a fool. You're not to walk according to your emotions. Jesus said that out of the heart comes adulteries and fornications and murders and wickedness and lies. And folks, we all have the same heart. We don't all express that heart to the same degree. But in the heart of the matter, we're all level at the cross. The religious man is level with the pagan. 
I have the same sin nature. I have the same sin nature that a homosexual expresses. Now, thank God, I don't have temptations in that area. Amen. Even as a lost person, there was a sense of abomination about that. But I have the same sin nature. We're not good. Some people trust their upbringing. The Jews did and they do today. You talk to a Jew, they may tell you, well, I'm going to be with God because I'm a Jew. I'm the people of the land. That's a slogan that they have. God gave us the land. God gave us the Scripture. I'm I'm part of that people. There are people who have been raised in Christian homes and they just... They did the things that they were told to do, but in their hearts, they, they really think they're better than other people. They're raised in a Christian home. They don't do those types of things. And hallelujah for that. And I thank God you don't. But you have to be saved by grace through faith. Some people trust their nationality. I mentioned the Jew. Some people will say, well, I live in America. It's a Christian nation. Millions of people trust their church. Roman Catholics trust their church. If you were to ask them what do they believe, they don't know. They just believe in the church. What do you believe? I believe what my priest believes. What do you believe? I believe what my pastor believes. What does he believe? I don't know. Do you know the Roman Catholic Church believes this? No, they never believe that. There are people who trust their zeal. I've given this illustration before, but I remember a lady... She actually made a profession of faith. She actually was raised in a church where soul winning was kind of the badge of honor. So if you wanted to be an honorable Christian, that's what you had to do. She passed out tracts. She worked on the bus ministry. She gave the gospel to people. People actually got came to professions of faith under her gospel. She had a great zeal for God. Romans says that the Jews have a zeal for God, but not according to righteousness. It's a rebellious zeal, but they trust their zeal. I'll never forget the day that she came to the Lord there in my office. She just threw all those things away. And she said, I am no good and turn to Christ. Many people today, especially if they've been raised in churches or gone to evangelistic meetings, trust the prayer they prayed. Folks, our prayer to be saved 
Do we pray to be saved? Yes. We call on the name of the Lord. But our prayer is not the ground of my salvation. My prayer is not the basis of my salvation. Christ is the basis of my salvation. Some people trust their obediences. A lot of people today trust their faith. It's amazing how you go out. I remember seeing a big banner over a contemporary church and on that banner was, I believe. And my immediate question was, I believe what? Folks, faith's object is not faith. Faith's object is Christ. Everybody following me here? This is so subtle in people's hearts and in their minds. I believe. I have faith. What do you have faith in? Don't know. Not sure. This is what I think God is. They're not basing their faith on God and who He really is as the Scripture delineates Him to be. They just believe. Folks, I'll say this. Lost people have an unbelieving faith. They do not have the faith of Christ. That faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. Some people trust in the righteousness of their own conscience. They trust in their values, their moral values, the way they imagine things to be. can't tell you the number of times that I've knocked on doors. People always tell me, at least they used to, they used to always tell me, yes, I know that I'm saved, And I would ask them, well, how do you know that you're saved? They had no response to that. They had no scripture behind that. And I'm not wanting them to be theologians and understand everything. But folks, if I asked you, why are you saved? At least you can say, Christ. (laughs) Amen? That's the confession. That's the boasting that we are to boast in is Him. And it certainly isn't some form of righteousness of my own that is of the law. Folks, the basis of our salvation is not you raising a hand at an invitation. It's not walking an aisle in church or walking an aisle in an evangelistic meeting. You may walk an aisle and you may raise your hand, but that has zero to do with your salvation. How are we saved? By grace, you have been saved through what channel? Faith. In what God has said about Himself and His Son. And where you find that out is the Bible. Folks, every person 
<clears throat> must be found in Christ in that day. And every person must be found in Christ with a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of the work of the Son through faith. That is salvation. And when Abraham got saved, Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him for righteousness. When Abraham believed God, he believed who God is first and what He said. And thirdly, He had the ability to accomplish what He said He would do. So it would go like this. Abraham, so shall your seed be. And I think he had some form of understanding that it was through his seed, the Messiah, that all this was going to happen. I don't know what went on in the heart of Abraham, but it might have gone on something like this. <clears throat> Does God, is God a person who could do this? His answer was, yeah. Yes. Then he thought to himself, <clears throat> all right, I don't have the ability to have seed. I don't have the ability to have a child. Does God have the ability to bring life out of death? Abraham said, yes. yes. Then he said to himself, perhaps, <clears throat> God's speaking these things to me that are not as though they were. Can God do that? God can do that. Alright, Abraham said, do I believe that He has the ability to do what He said? And Abraham's heart said, yes. As far as I know, he didn't raise a hand. As far as I know, he didn't pray a prayer. As far as I know, he didn't appeal to any of his works. Abraham believed God. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Do you hear that? And that he is a rewarder of them trust Him. Folks, our salvation, the whole thing, is by grace. Not of ourselves. It's not inherent within us. Not as a result of the works we have accumulated or by our working for it. It is the gift of God. How is it a gift? Because it is a gift from Him because it's not something that's owed to me. It is freely, freely of Him. To the praise of the glory of His grace. Let's pray.